is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 is the number if you would like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And coming up, we're going to talk about freezing assets. Evidently, more than a million tether belonging to one account or one wallet has been frozen by USDT. That's tether, this Mm -hmm. cryptocurrency that is pegged somehow to the United States dollar. So they they basically froze a million dollars of someone's money. Also, Pakistan is freezing, I, I don't remember, I think you said thousands of accounts of people who have been buying and selling cryptocurrency. But before we get into any of that, the, the spy state apparatus of the United States has long been out of control. And libertarians mm-hmm. have been talking about this since long before Edward Snowden came around and said, hey, you know what? The libertarians that have been talking about this massive dragnet, they were actually right. And that upset people for about... Three minutes. And then they got distracted. They moved on to other things. And now Edward Snowden has to live his life in Russia as a, you know, seeking asylum. Yeah, it's better than being in a prison cell in the United States. It is. But but that's just the NSA. It gets so much worse than that. I've got an article here about how evidently there was a NOM, which was an encrypted phone company Hmm. that marketed specifically to criminals to buy their phones. And it was secretly taken over by the FBI who then used it to record every message sent by the phone's users. What surprises me about this yeah, is that there was ever a need for an encrypted phone company. I wouldn't trust such a company. Like, hey, we're going to sell you an encrypted phone. Hey, I can just encrypt my phone myself and then not have to worry about the FBI owning the company. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to know how the takedown of this company happened in the, to begin with, and that, you know, was it not just the FBI the entire time? That's uh, a good question. Yeah. I don't think the article's going to get into it, mm. but evidently the truly global undercover operation had another secret. The phones also collected users' precise GPS location. Like every phone. Yes. And transferred that information to authorities. The news provides more clarity on the scope and capabilities of the back door managed by the FBI. So far, the operation, which was known as Trojan Shield in the United States, has led to hundreds of arrests worldwide and disrupted organized crime, with major drug traffickers now either arrested or on the run. One document is a set of thousands of pages of Anam messages sent by an alleged drug trafficker who was arrested during the operation. Next to many of the messages, which are sorted in a spreadsheet, is the alleged GPS location of the phone recorded when the message was sent. So it goes on for quite a while. It, I don't find a whole lot here worth actually talking about, but I do have a different story. I mean, that's just, it's shocking to me that there's an encrypted phone company to do that in the first place. And it's not surprising to me that the FBI has the legal authority i guess to just take over this company yeah, and it- so according to the wikipedia story on anom uh, the shutdown of a canadian secure messaging company called phantom secure in march of 2018 left international criminals in need of an alternative system for secure communication around the same time the san diego fbi branch had been working with a person who had been developing a quote next generation unquote encrypted device for use by criminal networks the person was facing charges and cooperated mm. with the FBI in exchange for a reduced sentence. 
So the FBI didn't take over some company. The FBI just created it. the company. The person offered to develop <laughs> a NOM and then distribute it to criminals through their existing networks. The first communications devices with a NOM were offered by this informant to three former distributors of Phantom Secure in October of 2018. So it sounds like the FBI was in from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's even worse, I think, that the FBI can just launch a company like that, but it's not surprising the FBI is out of control and police are out of control, according to the electronic... What does the AFF stand for? Electronic Freedom Foundation. That's, or okay. front, Frontier? Hmm. Yeah, nah, that's, where I, that's where I got hung up I'll as well. It doesn't it. matter. They're saying that the police have taken a page out of the NSA's playbook. With increasing frequency, law enforcement has been using unconstitutional, suspicious, suspicionless digital dragnet searches in an attempt to identify unknown suspects in criminal cases. It is Electronic Frontier Foundation. Thank you. Hmm. Whether these searches are for everyone who was near a building where a crime occurred... Oh, these are the geo-catching things? Yes, which are obviously unconstitutional, but Mm -hmm. that's not stopping them from doing it. They're saying it doesn't count as unconstitutional because they're only retrieving non-identifying data about the individuals in the geographical location they're instead just streaming some receiving some random number that's been assigned to this individual and if they pinpoint him they can get that person identified that's what they're saying but it's still illegal right well it's illegal but probably only if you call him on it so if they do one of these geo fencing i think is the word uh geo fencing actions and they get all this you know, unconstitutionally, legally gathered data, and then they use it to bring a charge against somebody, and that person takes a plea deal, Mm. then it was legal. Whether these searches are for everyone who was near a building where a crime occurred, or who searched for a keyword like bomb, or who shares genetic data with a crime scene DNA sample, 2021 saw more and more of these searches and Mm -hmm. more attempts to push back and rein in unconstitutional law enforcement behavior. While dragnet searches were once thought to be just the province of the NSA, they are now easier than ever for domestic law enforcement to conduct as well. That's because Google and Apple and all of these other companies will just gladly turn that information over, even without a warrant. Depending, but it probably has happened. This is because the massive amounts of digital information we share, knowingly or not, with companies and third parties. This data, including information on where we've been, what we've searched for, and even our genetic makeup is stored in vast databases of consumer-generated information, and law enforcement has ready access to it frequently without any legal process. All of this consumer data allows police to essentially pick a suspect out of thin air. The EFF has been challenging unconstitutional dragnet searches for years, and we're now seeing greater awareness and pushback from other organizations. Reverse location searches are these geofence warrants and location data brokers that they're talking about. And I'm, the, the article is going to clarify what all of these things are. Reverse location searches allow the police to identify every device in a given geographic area during a specific period of time, as well as track people's paths of travel. So they can find out all of the devices that were in an area mm-hmm. at a certain time. I mean, it's a useful technology if you're actually investigating a real crime with a real victim. Like if you're trying to find somebody who killed another person or. Well, that's what police work used to mean. Now they just, you know, use the data that Google is getting on people Mm -hmm. and that does the policing for them. Geographic areas can include city. I wouldn't care if all the police did was arrest arsonists, murderers, and rapists. I really wouldn't care. 
I still would because I, I feel like this is a violation of my right to privacy and I don't want my right to privacy to be violated. They can do their job without violating that, I think. Yeah. They just don't want to. No, I get I get both sides of it. I really do. I mean, if this can actually take a violent person off the streets, I, I mean, it's hard to be opposed to that. But we know they're going to use it for drug dealers and other peaceful people who've never harmed another person in their lives. That's who this is primarily going to be used against, most likely. Yeah, the previous article that we were discussing about the FBI um, creating this encryption, this encrypted phone, they didn't say anything about arresting murderers or. No. Or assassins or hitmen or whatever. It was all, about all drug dealers. Yeah, it's all just part of the drug war. Yeah. Geographic areas can include city blocks full of people unconnected to the crime, including those living in private res- residences and driving on busy streets. Unlike ordinary searches for electronic records, which identify a suspect, account, or device, reverse location searches essentially work backward by scooping up the location data from every device in hopes of finding one that may be linked to the crime. The searches therefore allow the government to examine the data from hundreds or thousands of individuals entirely unconnected to any criminal activity and give law enforcement unlimited discretion to try to pinpoint suspect devices. Of course, the really smart criminals will know about this technology (laughs) and leave their phone home. Or use one of those uh, the Faraday bags, I think they're called. There was a different one. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think they advertised briefly with, with the show. They did, yeah. And there are ways out there, or, you know, in theory, you can just turn off your location tracking on your phone, but I'm not I sure I would trust that. that. Yeah. But in theory, you should be able to do that. <laughs> but I wouldn't trust it. What do you think? Are you opposed to these reverse location warrants? Well, they're not even warrants. They're just, the police are asking for the information and, and Google's getting it. Getting, getting it. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is on your mind or whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. 603-283-6160. With you tonight is Ian, and we're talking about just police and FBI overreach. You were reading more about the the Anam incident where the FBI created this un- this encrypted phone and distributed it to criminals or something like that. Evidently, the FBI didn't even... No Americans were arrested as a result of this. According to, let's see here, a story from ABC in Australia. There was uh, no U.S. arrest due to privacy laws that prevented law enforcement from collecting messages from domestic suspects. However, in Germany... Uh, there were dozens of arrests in Australia, 224, Sweden, 155 people, Netherlands, about 50. I, I'm happy that no Americans were arrested because of this deceit played by the FBI. But it also makes me wonder what the FBI got out of this. If they spent all of this time and money and energy creating this software to take down criminals and they couldn't even actually do any police work in the United States with it. It could only be done overseas, where they don't have any jurisdiction, but as you said, governments do favors for one another. Yeah, so it may have been one of those things where they can't legally go after people in the United States with what they received from this, but they could still use the information, not legally use it, but, oh, here's a new suspect we should investigate. 
You know, they've got Ooh, the text messages yeah. from everybody that uh, downloaded or that uh, that purchased one of these Anom phones. So it likely resulted in several opened investigations that they didn't know about previously. The, those people being ostensibly ostensibly be drug dealers. They found something like forty tons of drugs uh, in these other various. Which seems different like countries. a lot of drugs. Yeah, uh, but just, it's just enforcement of the drug war and. Yeah. It shouldn't have happened. Yeah, this is the bulk of this is all drug-related stuff from what I can see here. So, no real victims involved. No, of course not. So, in 2020, we also learned that several federal agencies, including DHS, the IRS, and the U.S. military, purchased access to location data and used it for law enforcement investigations and immigration enforcement. Mm. In 2021, we started to learn more about how this data is shared with state and local agencies as well. For example, data broker Veriset shared raw individually identifiable GPS data with the Washington, D.C. local government, which provided the government with six months of regular updates about the locations of hundreds of thousands of people as they moved about their daily lives. And that's identifiable information. Yeah, this is the stuff governments love. They love to know where you are and what you're doing and how much money you're spending. Ostensibly, this data was meant to be used for COVID research. Oh, I see. That I, makes I, sense. I, it doesn't, but it makes sense that they would use that as the excuse. Sure. Because, you know, that's what we said when they first started talking about all of this location monitoring stuff and scanning QR codes to, you know, location. What, what do they call it? Contact tracing? Yeah. Yeah. We said it was going to be abused by law enforcement to do things like enforce immigration and drug wars and we heard like about that. a guy that there's a guy that we know, a liberty uh, activist up here in New Hampshire, who was driving, I think, near Massachusetts, but not in Massachusetts, and received an alert on his phone. And I, I, it's been a few months since I heard the story, so I don't remember exactly what it was regarding, but it was something about COVID, you know, come to the nearest testing center <laughs> or what, you know, some sort of COVID propaganda. And he thought, what in the hell is doing this? And he went digging around in his phone and found that there was like an app that had been installed without his permission uh, that was like the Massachusetts COVID tracking app. Wow. Yeah. He never told his phone that he approved of an install on something like that. And it was an Android device. So Google is just, you know, putting things on people's phones. And I imagine iPhone users are getting the same thing. In fact, iPhone users have it uh, built into the operating system, from what I understand. Yeah, I think in Google, they activated something that you can go in and turn off that's mm-hmm. owned by default. And it's to be it's designed to be used in contact tracing apps or something like that. Thankfully, New Hampshire didn't have one of these atrocious mm-hmm. apps. But it's only a matter of time before these governments start to mandate things. We, we just saw there's a, just a headline today that uh, New Orleans is the latest big city in the United States. Chicago just jumped on board. Of course, New York City and San Francisco have been doing it now for a few months with uh, vaccine passport mandates. I guess New Orleans will allow you to go into things if you can prove you've had a negative test result. So it's not just vaccine passport, but they're, you know, that's what's coming, right? Like they're going to mandate vaccine passports. So they're like they're six months behind the science in new orleans the science you mean what well, yeah. the i mean the actual science that informs people that they can still get and spread COVID 19 despite being vaccinated and despite being boosted and that allowing un, allowing vaccinated people to skip the testing requirement isn't doing any good other than giving them a a license to spread COVID 19 with impunity yeah they don't care about spreading COVID 19 they care about giving people a government app 
on their phones that will then give them permission to go into places and do things. Because if you want to go into a restaurant or a bar or a gym or an you know, indoor entertainment facility, concert hall, uh, you name it, then you're going to need this government passport. And it seems like most of the major cities in the U.S. right now. Oh, I didn't think about that. You you can't just show your vaccination card or whatever. You have oh, that's to have... probably an option. Okay. There's... I don't know what all the details are. Sure. I suspect each city has a different or a slightly differing set of uh, what is approved and, and what is not. I remember, I think New York City had a vaccine passport app that you did oh, have to you know submit your vaccine card to and it would approve you and someone sent a... A dinner menu from some restaurant and it approved that. So it was a bit glitchy. Um, and, it's the government. Of course, it's going to be glitchy. Right. I wouldn't expect the government to actually create competent software or to hire competent programmers because Google hired them first. <laughs> right. So meanwhile, people are being you know arrested in New York City at various different restaurants for just trying to you know get a bite to eat. Uh, without showing a passport. That's right. We played a video from a dude, f- or I don't know if we played it on the air, but it was some guy, as you pointed out, it's you you have to you can't just walk down the streets of New York City and it's impossible to drive there with a with arms full of grocery bags. So most people just order out or they go to mm-hmm. these smaller local places that you mentioned. So a lot of these people in New York City, their only option to eat is to order out. If they don't want to leave New York City, yeah, that's the best best bet for them. And they can't do that right now because of the vaccine requirement, assuming they're not vaccinated. I guess in theory they could have the food delivered to their homes. Yeah, but that's so much more expensive. And yeah. So anyway, New York City is not a cheap place to live. No. So let's add the price of DoorDash or whatever on top of that or Instacart or wherever. I wouldn't want to do it. So we also learned now we've been talking about the overreach of governments, obviously. We also learned that the Illinois Department of Transportation purchased access to geolocation data about over 40 percent of the state's population from SafeGraph, a controversial data broker later banned from Google's App Store hmm. for just $49,500. The Illinois Department of Transportation got access to 2 years worth of raw location data from more than 40% of the state's population. That is the data set consisted of over 50 million pings per day from over 5 million users, each with precise latitude and longitude, a timestamp, a device stamp, and a device identifier. So governments are out of control, and all of this information, they have free access to it, apparently. They're not just having to get it from Google. There are companies that specialize in giving governments this data. And that scares the hell out of me. What about you? 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in on this. Coming up, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and frozen assets. It's Free Talk Live. Is your broken heart stopping you from being authentically happy? My name is Jeremy West, and for a limited time, I am running a free online class to teach you what most people don't know about how to deal with your feelings, the simple way to deal with your negative thinking, the key to breaking your unhealthy relationship patterns, and so much more. No more feeling like a failure who will never find true love. No more self-medicating and ending up feeling even more miserable. And no more feeling like you'll never be someone who deserves an amazing partner. Sound good? You'll discover a new way to finally feel validated and loved, to stop trying to get your self-worth from the very people who tear it down, and to put you in control of your own happiness so you never surrender that control to another person again in as little as eight weeks. Register now for my free online class at beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. That's beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. 
is Free Talk Live, and hopefully you're watching us on Odyssey, where we can't be censored, or at least where we won't be censored. They do have rules against pornography, but that doesn't pertain to what we do, so we're never going to be censored there. You can find our channel there at video.freetalklive.com. There we can actually say whatever we want. I mean, to be clear, we're going to say whatever we want anyway. Other than not violating FCC rules, we do say whatever we want. And YouTube is going to do what they're going to do. Facebook is going to do what they're going to do. And we're going to get suspended and banned from these places eventually. We've already been given a number of strikes over on YouTube. And it's inevitable one day they're going to pull the plug on the channel. With Odyssey, you don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to be there from one day to the next. We're there every single day. Video.freetalklive.com if you want to watch us there. That's video. .freetalklive.com. Now, there's an update. Ian, you have an update for us. Evan. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yesterday we talked about Melania Trump and her... Usually we don't talk about Melania Trump. No, she's not... There's not much to say about her, really. But she had an NFT, a many thousands NFTs, apparently, because it doesn't seem she, she quite comprehends what an NFT is, which is fine. I'm not 100% sure either, but I'm also not trying to sell one. Mm-hmm. She was trying to sell, from what we understand, something like 2,800 of these things. And well, we I, wanted to sell an NFT, that, but we can't because yeah. of federal bail conditions that prohibit from uh, us from doing that. But and we had and, the ultimate NFT. Yeah, you but, and I had come, you, I think you'd come up with the idea of doing just a black and a white pixel, two different uh, JPEGs, right? Yeah. Yeah. It took it took a very long time to you know shrink the the what what is the word I'm looking for there the the plane down to just one by one pixel right that was by far the hardest part of this and then I just had to save it and it's like voila this is it this is the source of all digital art right here on and off it, yeah you can therefore Zero own every one. piece of artwork ever made. Because of these two pixels. But it's now, it's I guess it's the ultimate NFT because it's never going to be offered at all. So you can't get it. That's Unless, true. Well, it we was never made into an NFT. Uh, by the time we get off bail conditions, the whole NFT craze is probably going to be done. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but if not, look forward to me <laughs> right? selling those NFTs because why not? If someone wants to give me money to sell them a pixel on the internet, yeah. I will take it. The true owner of a black pixel. <laughs> at least... I, at least that's a joke, right? Melania is trying to seriously sell people. I think they were water watercolor paintings of her eyes or yes, something yeah. weird As like we that. As we reported last night, uh, somebody made a watercolor painting of her eyes, and I believe it's the same artist that's doing the new thing that we're going to tell you about. Um, and she sold these digital versions of that painting, which means that you can copy it a you know un number amount of you know unended amount of times and it doesn't lose its original quality so that's what but they didn't sell the original painting no that's correct no not to my knowledge and uh, which is probably actually unique correct yeah and and maybe they took some feedback because they had like 2000 or 2800 or something of these things that were they made available these jpegs that they were selling for roughly 150 dollars worth of solana which is one of the top 10 cryptos and i'm not really sure too much else about it for whatever reason they chose solana uh, for this particular platform and uh, so i'm guessing they got a little bit of critique it doesn't look like they sold very many of the uh, watercolor paintings at least based on the analysis that we did on it I'm last shocked, night. I tell you. Yeah. Shocked that they couldn't sell JPEGs of paintings of Melania Trump's eyeballs. At $150 a pop. 
Yeah. So now they've decided to do it, I think, in a much more proper manner, because the whole idea behind the NFT, if you're into this, and I'm not, uh, is that it's something something collectible, something that's unique, something that, even though it's a JPEG on the internet, you can claim it's yours, and you have the NFT, as they call it, a non-fungible token, to prove that you are the owner of this particular JPEG, or this, for listeners that don't know what that is, it's a, it's a digital graphics file. Uh, usually it's a, like a cartoon, but it could be anything, anything that an artist created. And the reason that I find this so silly is because I can just find that JPEG online, mm-hmm. right-click, click Save As, and then I'm the owner of that JPEG just as much as this other person. Yeah, and didn't some guy go and right-click all of the JPEGs that he have did. ever been sold and then put them all in a torrent file, allegedly, that's something like 25 terabytes or something ridiculous like that? I don't remember the like size that. of it, but it was enormous. <laughs> and yeah, that he was making the same point that we're making, that, hey, all of this is just internet like they they call bitcoin you know fictional internet money but these this nft thing it it is just fictional internet nonsense yeah there's some stay away from it yeah there's some real fakery going on with a lot of these nfts i think i learned about a technique called washing where the person who's selling the nft will falsely bid on their own nft from different ethereum accounts and oh that goes that goes on at just about every auction i watched a video a few months ago about how this is going on in the classic games market where Ultimately, you find out that the people who are bidding are the ones who own the auction house or something like that. Yeah, that's that's not good. You see these headlines like, oh, the original Super Mario Brothers sold for $1.5 million, but you come to find out that dude bought it for himself, so no money yeah. actually exchanged hands. The, I guess the idea is to stir up controversy and interest and then get more is eyeballs. to make people think that's how much yeah. it's worth so that the next time you sell it, they go, oh yeah, I'll take I'm it up in. for a million and a right. half. Yeah. Oh, I can get it for 700000 Whoa, what a deal. Right. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So now, according to the AFP report here, Ms. Trump is back at it because her first NFT, quote unquote, uh, offering, which was, again, 2,800 of them, so not unique, uh, that uh, apparently only sold 1% of what they were offering, which that's going to be a real strike, right? Like, you think you're the hot S, you're the president's wife, lots of people care about what you think. And then your NFT doesn't sell more than a few dozen copies? Well, the kind of person who cares what she thinks probably doesn't know what an NFT, NFT is. is, much less how to buy one. I don't know. There's a bunch of, like, Trump-tard kids out there, right? Like, young guys who love Trump on the internet. Surely some of them are into his wife. Maybe. I don't know. When I, I think either. about the younger people who love Trump, it's usually, like, ironically. Hmm. Like, they don't, don't really know. mean I mean, it. He's, he's they're they're doing big... it to troll people. Maybe. But well, th- that's those are the people I know in New Hampshire, right? Yeah, I'm going with what, you know, like the chatters say on the Free Talk Live chat server. Some of them seem to be genuine Trump fans, and they're technical enough to know how to use, you know, a chat server. So if you can get in the Free Talk Live matrix, you can probably buy an NFT. Probably. I mean, because the, the crypto industry has made nft buying as easy as they possibly could right like this yes but it's still extremely difficult to use bitcoin to purchase anything but this nft thing we're going to make this as easy as possible yeah they want it to be easy because they know it's a craze and people want to get into it so they've made made it pretty simple from what i understand uh like i said i've never tried it myself but uh the story from france 24 afp reporting that uh, melania trump has now announced as of today that she's going to be auctioning off a famed white hat that she wore in 2018 
with accompanying physical and digitized NFT drawings. So in this case, the auction will be held. It's called the Head of State Collection because she wore it when visiting, I guess, French President Emmanuel Macron and his wife. So if you care about these sorts of things, you could be the singular owner of not only the original hat worn by Melania Trump, but also a watercolor picture of her wearing the hat and a digital scanned version of the watercolor uh, drawing of her wearing the hat. If you are the winner of this auction, which bidding will begin at 1416 Solana, which as of now is roughly $250,000 worth. See, this I could almost be on board with because you do get the unique hat. Yep. There's only one of these, presumably, that she actually bought and uh, wore. Apparently, she had it custom made so there, yeah. for her. And there's only one of these watercolor paintings. And as long as she doesn't put the graphic online, mm. there is no, there's only one digital copy of this, and she has access to it and can sell it to whoever she wants. Well, the graphic is online. I can see it here <sighs> in, the, it is. in the preview on her website, MelaniaTrump.com. So the so the digital representation, the actual NFT is already not unique. So she's basically auctioning off a hat and a drawing of her wearing the hat. But at least, you know, again, maybe they took some critique for their first NFT effort, which was pretty laughable. And at least they're offering something unique here in this particular case. I don't think I even know anyone who's bought an NFT. Hmm, what about they, you out there? Maybe they're just not telling you. <laughs> That's true. Do you know someone who has bought an NFT or maybe you've purchased one yourself? 603-283-6160. I won't rip you apart. I'm just curious about it. It's Mm. Free Talk. Last year, we've been telling you about how Intercoin can help any business or organization raise money using their own token. And now they've launched their investor token on an exchange. You can find it at xmarkets.com. That's exmarkets.com, where you can sign up with just an email address, which means you can actually keep your privacy intact. Now, because of that, they don't allow deposits of fiat currencies, but you can send in Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency, trade it for Tether, which is what we're probably going to talk about later. It's a mm. bit risky because Tether can and will simply freeze your account if they feel like it. But you can then buy ITR, the Intercoin Investor Token. Learn more about the Intercoin vision at intercoin.org. That's I-N-T-E-R coin.org. Or get some Intercoin for yourself at exmarkets.com. That's xmarkets.com. And you just might be advancing the cause of liberty around the world. We have El Conejo, who is on the line from Nebraska. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, guys. Um, hey. I was calling in about Monero. Uh, you were talking about Monero the other night mm-hmm. and other cryptos. Yep. Um, I just wanted to clear up a couple of things about it. Sure. I believe you can audit the full supply, but that's about it. Hmm. Um, I could be wrong on that point, but more importantly, uh I think you, Ian, mentioned that it's uh, inflationary, but it basically always produces new coins. Um, that's well, sort of, but sort it also destroys existing coins, right? Like, if I understand it correctly, when you send Monero from one address to another, it destroys the Monero in the sending wallet and creates it in the receiving wallet. Uh, well, the, me- the mechanism uh, by which it's private is different than what I'm talking about. The, the total supply, um, there's only going to ever be 17 million Monero, I believe. 
Uh, no, the there's no limit on of, the Monero supply. But you were correct well, about the I, first I thing I'm, you said, I'm, which was that you I'm can apparently that. get the total uh, the total supply at the moment. Okay. And according to CoinGecko, it is over 18 million Monero at this time. Oh, 18 million. Um, so it's there is a there there are 18 million Monero that uh, are basically going to be mined. But they've already been mined. Done, well, they're almost finished being mined. I think there's like 10% left at this point or something like that. Well, but you said the market cap total... is, is 18 million, and Ian just read you off from, I think he said CoinGecko, where it's already past 18 million. That's correct. 18 million uh, Monero? Yeah. Correct, yeah. But again, well, I, I mean, the exact... Monero has no so market cap. That's one of the only flaws that I can think of regarding Monero is that it, unlike Bitcoin, which does have a market cap of 21 million, Monero actually does not have one. Yeah, the supply limit well, uh, supply limit is unlimited. Unlimited, excuse me. There's also a lot of background noise going on there. Thank you so much for the call tonight, El Conejo. I'll never say no to an opportunity to talk about Monero, but it's it's just not perfect, and it's the unlimited supply cap that sort of bothers me about it. Maybe what he he said he kept saying he was going to get to something, and maybe what he was going to get to is that apparently there is an annual supply cap. Once the total supply reaches 18.2 million coins, which it's close to, it's not quite there yet, uh, the the annual supply cap will then be approximately 158,000 coins per year. So at least you know okay. what the supposed rate is. Uh, but again, there's no maximum cap as far as, you know, if it goes for another 100 years, there's going to be another 158,000 coins a year coming out every year. And I mean, I can deal with that. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it's a predictable amount of inflation, so it can be handled and all of that. Right. I mean, we like to think that gold, for example, is cannot be infinitely inflated, but that's really not true either because, I mean, for all we know, the universe is infinite and there's therefore an infinite amount of gold out there. Well, the old theory is that at some point an asteroid full of gold is going to land on you know the planet and that's going to drop the gold price dramatically. It's not impossible. Mm-hmm. I think I, I don't expect an asteroid made out of gold to hit the planet, but... It's not impossible that we'll find a universe full of gold out there. And or that somebody strikes uh, you know, a huge cache of gold that has never been found before. That's a possibility, too. That is a possibility. But I will say that I think the asteroid thing is silly. Uh, first of all, I've never heard of an asteroid being made out of solid gold. but Could happen. If we got to the point where people were like mining asteroids for gold, I really don't think the value of gold is going to matter much to the individual. Maybe. Because by then we're at a technological point where you could basically probably have whatever you wanted whenever you wanted it. Mm. So what what would the value of gold matter in those in that case? Who knows? I don't know. The future's fun to think about, but mining asteroids made out of gold, that's that's far in the future. And sure, it could happen. But so in that sense, I don't mind Monero not having a market cap. It just it seems like a conscious, del- well, it was obviously a deliberate design choice. I just don't understand the reason for it. I don't know. I mean, it's a hundred something thousand coins a year or 150,000 coins a year isn't exactly a whole lot. It's not. No. Well, no not compared to the 18 million or whatever right. they set. So we've been talking about Melania. Got, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go you, ahead. You've got to reward the miners to keep mining. And so, understandably, that would keep people mining the coin. Um, more than just getting the transaction fees 
Because once the transaction fees go away on the, or rather, rather, once the mining rewards go away on the Bitcoin network, then it's only the transaction fees that the miners will get. So it keeps the the deal a little sweeter for the miners. I See, think. that's why I expect a hard fork when it gets to that point where the Bitcoin, Bitcoin? yeah, where the Bitcoin miners agree that hey, we want to keep getting some sort of mining reward here, so we're going to increase the market cap of Bitcoin to mm-hmm. twenty four million or whatever. So whether or not Bitcoin truly has a a supply cap remains to be seen. We won't really know until we hit that point. And I suspect before we do, the miners will. Because right now, I mean, the transaction fees that they would have to charge to comp- to be compensated or to feel compensated for that block reward, it, it would make Bitcoin completely unusable to the average person. And the idea is that, you know, as this supply dec- as the supply of Bitcoin increases, the mining reward decreases. But that just causes fewer and fewer people to want to mine Bitcoin which means transactions are going to take longer to complete. Well, the presumption is the price of Bitcoin will go up over time. So therefore, for instance, getting six and uh, 6.25 Bitcoins today every block, which is the current reward plus the fees, you know, at uh, not quite 50,000 per per coin, you know, six Bitcoins, that ain't too shabby, right? It's that's not. That's better than 50 Bitcoins, which was the original mining reward back in the day when it was worth next to nothing. Of course, had you gotten 50 Bitcoins and held on to it every time you found a block, you would be very, very wealthy today. That's true. So maybe they will continue confirming transactions. I just don't know if it'll be... Because as you Bitcoin's point out... Bitcoin's going to get topped by something someday. It, something's going to come out and it's going to be the Bitcoin killer. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to happen. But Bitcoin's old tech. It's only holding on because of its, uh, you know, it's been there for a long time. It's It was the first. And well, that's they do worth keep updating it, so I don't know how old it really is. And Yeah, but it's not any faster. That's true. They're not going to update it seriously because the Bitcoin programmers are all about not touching the uh, the fundamentals of Bitcoin. They've never done a hard, hard, uh, hard fork, as they call it, with Bitcoin. They've never forced people to upgrade to the new version of Bitcoin. So all of their upgrades have been what they call soft forks, just changes to the software that are not required to continue using Bitcoin. And they don't want to do a hard fork, which is why they never increased the block size back during the block size debates in 2017 that created Bitcoin Cash. I'd never thought about it in that context, but that yes, that makes sense. That's why some wallets you can use a SegWit address or a non-SegWit mm-hmm. address, and they're there's completely different. You can tell one or the other by just looking at it. Whether or you you can be reasonably sure whether or not it's a SegWit address or a non-SegWit address, and I don't even know Whatever what all that, crap that means. means. Yeah, I just know that SegWit was the thing they implemented at the time. The Bitcoin Cash supporters were against that. It was like, this is stupid. Just increase the it block size. It seemed to be stupid. It did absolutely nothing to reduce the uh, Bitcoin fees. I think what it did was it took away something that was otherwise built into the blocks. Yeah, it's some, it, it did something. Yeah, yeah. It decreased them by... It's not even worth really talking about it, because who cares? And then Bitcoin Cash was like, no, just increase the block size, and that made perfect sense. Yeah. And that's why block Bitcoin Cash remains a lot faster. Well, well, I wouldn't call Bitcoin Cash faster. Um, it's got the same block time as Bitcoin, which is roughly every 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, sometimes Bitcoin Cash and sometimes Bitcoin goes slower than 10 minutes, sometimes faster. Sometimes it's like uh, you can find three blocks in 10 minutes. Sometimes it's one block in 30 minutes. So it just it depends on the mining, the hash, the hash rates, and, and it yeah. gets really complicated. But the miners basically will go wherever is the most profitable. So if they're not like... 
the miners aren't allied to one side of Bitcoin or another for the most part. If, if Bitcoin Cash becomes more profitable, they'll switch gears and they'll go over to Bitcoin Cash until the original Bitcoin becomes more profitable and they'll switch back over there. So My experience about Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash is almost a year out of date at this point mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I have no idea what the transaction fees are doing. Maybe you out there I listening. I only know to. because I saw somebody do it recently on Bitcoin Cash, and they had to wait 40 minutes for a confirmation. That's rough. But it was yeah. still 0.001 BCH is the fee, right? It was cheap. Six zero. Yeah, 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in on cryptocurrency. We're going to talk about how Tether is freezing people's assets. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off, now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where you can take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. Again, that's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Ariane Ian. And even though yesterday was Bitcoin's, I think you said, 13th birthday? That's right. So it's officially a teenager. We still find ourselves talking about Bitcoin today. We, I mean, that's not uncommon for us. Bitcoin is, has been a huge part of our lives for a very long time. And it's world, world-changing world stuff. It's, it's important. We ended up briefly discussing Monero, which... In usable terms, is something I prefer to Bitcoin because it does have the privacy aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And every transaction by default is a private transaction, whereas you have a lot of privacy coins, I think like Zcash, where you have to actually go in and manually turn it on. And it's a bit. And almost no one does. Yeah, and it's a bit tricky to actually do. But with Monero, you actually get that by default. And that's one of the things I love most about it. But. Even without the privacy, I still love Bitcoin. It's still fantastic technology, and it created all sorts of new things that are going to, as you said, there's going to be a Bitcoin killer at some point. Who knows what's going to come in the future, but it's going to involve some sort of cryptocurrency, and Bitcoin was the thing that started it all. But we do have Doc, who is calling from Texas. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Grace. Such a wonderful thing to talk across the country like this. I'm Thanks, always Marvel. What's on your mind hey, tonight? Uh, well, this currency, this Bitcoin stuff here. Uh, I had a I had a question for you. Sure. How about um, you know uh, what the, what's that thing had on Star Trek? They had a replicator, a food replicator. Anyway, yeah. technology. They did. Technology is is what we're looking at. 
coming right, that's up. That's sort of what I was getting at when I talked about the gold yeah. asteroid mining. Is that, yeah. you know, I don't know whether or not replication technology is actually physically possible. But we're going to have enough technology at that point where people aren't going to want for very much. But my point, my point is, is before that, uh, I think uh, an idea, certainly not original, I think Thomas Edison was a supporter of uh, an actual, uh, the backing of the currency would be food, food and, and water. Well, that's and a terrible idea. Would work, well, the way it would work is, is with technology. It, 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 the technology is advanced to such a point where, where everyone needs food, so the only logical thing, food and water, will back your money. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense because pay. food goes bad. And so does water if you let it, you know. So is the idea have, here that you could take your seed bank and and you have uh, organic farms and you have a continue, you know, if we don't continue to produce food, we're all, we're all dead anyway. So is the idea here that you could take your currency to the bank and they have some garden out back and you could trade it for tomatoes or whatever? No, you'd have you'd have uh, you'd have a uh, currency bank. Uh, a food uh, currency uh, bank, just uh, uh, very similar to a lot of those. But but anybody, any country, anyone could demand an exchange of food for their currency. Now that you know the, the way that works is like the futures market. You have a delivery. Well, you got you got some logistics to take care of. But as far as as far as any demand that somebody wants. Food for the for the money. Okay, but you bet you. Who we'll gets to decide it, it, what kind currency. of food, Don? If if uh, some country or whoever says, "I have a hundred thousand food well, coins," they're not going to be welcome to the community, the international community. It's kind of like right now. We are. Wait, 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 you didn't answer my question. Is, my question uh, is: uh, If somebody's got a hundred thousand food coin and they want to get their food instead of the coin. Who decides what kind of food? Do they get oranges? Do they get meat? Do they get a you know random mix of whatever happens to be available? What if they don't want that stuff? I think I think it would have, it would, obviously from what you're saying, you would have to have a a guaranteed uh, pick of a you know a, a huge variety. Okay, but and why you, couldn't you just take money to the grocery store <laughs> and pick out your the food you wanted yourself? I, Hey, I'm I'm arguing I'm arguing uh, the wrong point here. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, it it could be a dumb idea. Well, it's a terrible not, idea. I'm, I mean, it's it's I'm not uh, good. yeah. I mean, it's a terrible idea for the same reason that you don't want to back your currency with bananas because they're going to go looking, bad. I was, at, I was looking at some of these 25 year packaging, and I was also looking at technology advancing to where the taste of the the flavor of the food and the the experience would be like a fine restaurant, and that's coming. If I can think of it, it's coming. Yeah, but I mean, in in reality, the price of food is only getting cheaper as time goes on because the ability yeah, barring to... government interference, it's right. going up because of inflation. But, it's all relative. It's all but relative. barring that, humans are creating more food than ever. Mm-hmm. Americans yeah. throw away massive amounts of food. You started the call by mentioning, you know, Star Trek replicators. That would destroy the value of your currency if you could just tell a machine <laughs> on your wall, "Hey, I want a turkey dinner," and out pops a turkey dinner. If the machine worked for free, if the machine was cheap to make and worked for free... It presumes that that whatever it is that's feeding the machine would also be free, because you would need also an unlimited supply of whatever that was, whether it's just pure energy that is then being transmogrified and put together into, you know, changing the atoms into whatever it is that you're making. So at that point, you'd probably be I think that's the way the replicators worked. Based on free energy? Well, I don't know about free energy, but I think what they did was... 
Well, in that case, it wouldn't be free. They took some sort of matter and they did something to yeah restructured it and turned it into the matter that you wanted. So whoever it is that would then be selling the matter that just whatever the hell presumably you could just use air right i don't know or water or something plentiful i don't know i never (laughs) i enjoyed the next generation but that was pretty much and i only enjoyed a few seasons of it Mm -hmm. that was the extent of my experience i'm sure someone out there is just screaming at the at their computer right now about how these idiots don't understand how replication technology works in star trek no i didn't i never gave it much thought i was like huh that's neat. It would be cool if the future had that technology. But that's that's the extent of my knowledge about it. I don't know how it works, other than I know they it's would just... just uh, sci-fi. Yeah. They would tell it a thing, and it would give them the thing they wanted. But that said, a lot of the things that science fiction have predicted have come to uh, fruition, so it certainly is something that somebody's going to be working on. Somebody saw that when they were a kid in the 50s or you know the 80s or 90s or whenever they saw it, and they thought that we got to have that, and they've made it their life's mission uh, to figure out how that's going to work. So it might happen someday. Well, three 3D printers are sort of a precursor to it. Yes, right. You yeah, can, they really are. Yeah. You can 3D print a lot of things from tires for vehicles to shoes and other stuff yeah. like that. Eventually, guns, guns, someone's suicide going to, pods. What is a suicide pod? Oh, you weren't here for that episode. It's I was pretty not. wild. Somebody came up with a. Uh, it's over in like uh, Europe. I think the Scandinavian, one of the Scandinavian countries. Somebody invented a 3D printed suicide pod that you put like a. Uh, uh, oh, was it nitrogen, I think, canister in or something like that, or nitrous oxide? And basically, you press a button from inside the pod, and it fills the pod with the uh, the chemical or, or with the uh, nitrous or whatever, and then it pushes the oxygen out, uh, and you die. Oh, I got it. The idea being that you don't breathe out carbon dioxide and therefore trigger the panic attack that comes with that sort of thing. Yeah, you, you are basically put to sleep, and you feel good. I, I did not know such a thing was 3D printed. Yeah. It, that's a lot of it's trouble amazing. for someone to go through when they can just like, I don't want to give anyone advice, but they sell canisters of helium and helium does exactly the same thing. And it's a noble gas, so it doesn't react to oxygen in the first place. And, mm. you know, it's helium, so it has some effect on you, I think. But I think it's just your voice and stuff like that. But it's the same basic well, I guess idea. The reason you would do this is because you can't F it up, basically. And oh, that's you're, true. you're locked in a pod. Like that you just plug in the tank of nitrogen. There's no other oxygen that's going to come into this pod. It's a sealed pod, and you're inside of it, and then all of the oxygen goes away. Well, I'm in support of this. I mean, if someone yeah. wants to kill themselves and you have a painless method for them, to me, it's that's fascinating. I think it's great. That's preferable than that person blowing their brains out and leaving Absolutely. a mess that's going to traumatize family members and yep. emergency medical responders and all of that stuff. So, so yeah, 3D printing. Pretty cool. <laughs> of course. The, the suicide pod would not be the first thing that came to mind if I thought of awesome technologies <laughs> allowed by the 3D printer. I would think of guns and stuff like that because there are 3D printable guns. You can- but similar to uh, to the 3D printed gun, the 3D printed suicide pod puts technology in people's hands that they previously had no access to. That's true. And you probably would have gotten in legal trouble if you attempted to build one of these things at home and they figured out what it was for. Because for whatever weird reason, in most of the Western world, suicide is against the law. That's right. And that doesn't make any sense to me. It seems to me that if you own your life, then you have the right to end your life. Maybe you disagree out there. Can you explain it to me? Why does a person own their life but not have the right to end it? 603-283-6160.
It's Free Talk Live, where you can take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever you want. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. Again, the number 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria and Ian. We've been talking about cryptocurrency a bit. If you want to know what that is, head on over to Bitcoin.com. Click Getting Started at the top of the page. Just take a few minutes out of your day to learn about this important world-changing information. And if you already know a bit about Bitcoin, then check out their news site at news.bitcoin.com where you can stay up to date on all of the news and headlines that are relevant to you. And all of it on a sleek, easy-to-use website. That's bitcoin.com. I wish I had thought about it when we were talking with the previous caller, but there was, in fact, a cryptocurrency backed by bacon made in 2018. No, there wasn't. No, there really wasn't. I mean... They marketed this thing. It was Oscar Mayer. They marketed this thing called a Baycoin that they said was going to be... It's funny. It is funny. It's, it's hilarious. It's cute. They said it was going to be the first cryptocurrency backed by bacon. But and, it was I mean, just a silly gag. Yeah, obviously there was never any such cryptocurrency thing. made. But I think there was you know, some coupon they would give you yeah. that you could exchange for bacon for people out there who like bacon, I guess. Yeah. So it was very weird and it was mocked horrifically at the time because it's a stupid idea it's funny but it's stupid and this was in 2018 so you remembered it though i did remember because it was stupid yeah so it did its job it got people talking whether they agreed with it or not it got people passing around the link and here we are three four years later (laughs) talking about their little bitcoin promotion (laughs) fair point i guess and that i guess it was successful then but there's a reason why you don't use food as the backing to a currency. I wouldn't want bacon from May of 2018 for sure. Any food. You don't want it cuz it's just going to go bad. Even the like, you know, even the stuff designed for a shelf. You know, you generally don't want to eat that 10 years later or 20 years later if you can avoid it. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, Vincent and I actually did go through some old canned food uh here last year while, you know, or not last year, 2020, uh while people were getting crazy and all this, you know, toilet paper was was being pulled off the shelves everywhere. I had all this old canned food uh that was in the basement that for more than a decade and I had not actually rotated through it, which is apparently what you're supposed to do with canned food. You're supposed to rotate through it slowly over time. Oh, like, like continually new... replacing yeah. more? And Okay. But I didn't do that. And so after separating out all the cans that had gone bad, because the basement was kind of damp, so there was uh, right. rust on the cans, and that actually resulted in the cans not being sealed anymore, and some of them slowly leaking, and some pretty nasty situations down there. So definitely rotate your, uh, your inventory and also there were no videos a, of this of no. like you, we did make videos yeah i okay. just didn't uh, do anything with them but oh, that's unfortunate they just weren't that interesting but i mean there was a website that i used to want that i used to read and i found it a number of years ago was they this open guy, old canned food he didn't eat old canned food but he would like find these 1980s cereals and he mm. would eat them oh, like wow. these 30 year old boxes of cereal i presume yeah yeah but and then he would report how sick he felt and it was hilarious <laughs> right so that's kind of what we did. Was, and he would describe the taste, and that was probably the best part. What we did was we took these cans that were still like intact, that were still looked good. Right, you don't want to poison yourself, right? Uh, and then we, you know, we opened, learned about like how can you tell if a can has gone bad, and so there's certain uh, techniques. So here's one of them: if you open the can and it bubbles outward, throw it out. When you open the can, you you know, these things are vacuum sealed at right. the factory. So what should happen is a slight intake of air should happen into the can. 
whenever you crack that first, you know, you put the little yeah. puncturing thing down in there. Uh, and uh, if it goes inward for just a sec, you're good. But if it goes outward at all, anything comes out, bad sign. Just throw that thing right away. That's so, useful information. So, yeah, anything that uh, that looked fine, you know, we went ahead. It was more than some of these things were more than a decade past their best buy date because canned food doesn't have an expiration date. It technically can last for decades. Um Really? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. So we took it and we actually... Decades old corn or something, man. It just... We actually got some newer versions of the same thing. Yeah. So like if it was canned peaches, we got a newer version of a canned peach and then opened them both up, put them you know, in a bowl and try to do like a taste test. It wasn't a blind taste test necessarily, right. um, but you know, it. the decade old one didn't really taste that different. Okay, like, that's good to know. I, I I wondered if it was a blind taste test, if I would have been able to tell. Like, because it wasn't a blind taste test, it was like, oh, yeah, you can kind of tell it's not as fresh. But it held up. Well, well, let's go to the phones. We have Sarah calling from New Mexico. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Yes, I just want to mention that, you know, the government would love to have, like, a dumbed-down public. Oh, it's yes. The better off, they have a better way of controlling us. Yeah, just like your communist rulers. They like that, too. Well, I don't know about that, but... You know, oh, you, don't th- you think the communist governments are somehow less like governments than the ones you're thinking of? Well, you know, I believe that they are different. Because mm-hmm. people, that community is about, uh, like, sharing. And I don't think they want... It's also about putting millions stupid. of people to death. Well, I don't, I don't buy that either. You don't, I don't buy think that it. That was a lie. You think that's a lie? No, because uh, they, well, they twist everything around. Like, <laughs> like for example, they have. They have Who is uh, they? The anti-communists. Well, you, you say that the rulers are, you know, manipulating to keep people dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, well. We agree with you, well, by the way. I mean, the thing. What? We agree with you that the rulers are manipulating people to keep them dumb. That is the whole point of government school is to dumb right, down the right. po- to dumb down the population. But for you to be so short-sighted as to un- to claim on one hand to understand that and then on the other hand to believe that the communist rulers are somehow encouraging the people to be wise and encouraging the people to be questioning of their circumstances, you're completely ignorant about it. Well, I believe that they do better, but uh, but what I could there's no evidence for that. that. Well, but but the whole thing the evidence is the communists, specifically Sarah, want to keep the dumb people around because the smart ones are a threat, and the smart ones they want to they want to put to death basically, and that's why they sent millions of people to death camps uh, in communist Russia. Well, the thing is, they they the smarter people get, people become rebellious, and they mm-hmm. wind up yeah. having overthrowing the yeah, power. Yeah, and they figure out that communism is a scam, and that it's a bunch of uh, BS, and then they can't be allowed to hang around and talk to people after that. Once they've figured that out, they've got to be put to death, put in a uh, death camp. Well, That's what you support, you know, right? Well, you know what's, what's really funny? That is what you support, right? I just want to be clear. That's no, what you no, support. What I, su- what I support is Medicaid, universal health care, and then they have, I like... Um, but the, people who don't agree with you should go into a death camp, right? Well, the people that don't agree with me is maybe the billionaire, capitalist. No, right? like no, the no. I don't people. agree with you. 
Well, but the thing is, why don't you like Social Security? Do you like pension? Do you like? I like being independent and not relying on the government to take care of me. Yeah. What if you got injured? And what if you lost your job? I would rely on savings or something like that because I am a human being with this thing called foresight and the ability to recognize that something tragic could happen to me, and it's best if I have some money put away in case that happens. It's a strange position to be coming from, to think that the government wants to keep you stupid, and then at the same time, trust them to take care of you? That's also a really good point. Hmm. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in. Sarah's made just a tiny bit of progress there. (laughs) It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where you can weigh in with whatever is on your mind. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. And we're raising funds for Give Directly, which is the first nonprofit that allows you to give money directly to people who live in extreme poverty in places like Bomet and Khalifa counties in Kenya who are in need. They've... In the past decade, delivered more than $400 million to more than a million people. And obviously, this is going to be the best way to help people who live in poverty change their lives for the better. Is to give them the cash and let them make the decisions about what is best going to improve their lives. Rather than some distant aid organization that doesn't actually know these people or what they're going through. So Free Talk Live is matching your donations to give directly up to $30,000. So if you're feeling generous... Head on over to give.freetalklive.com. You have until January the 31st to use our link there and contribute to our little campaign there. That's give.freetalklive.com. We've been talking about cryptocurrencies here. And before Sarah derailed us with a conversation about how governments want to keep people stupid, which was amazing to me that here we have this ward of the government who recognizes, realizes that governments want stupid people and they don't want intelligent people except communist governments, which for whatever reason she believes are better than that, but they're governments and they want stupid people too. Yes. It's delusional to think otherwise. So before we get it back, you have to be delusional to be a communist. Yeah, you do. Or you have to, I don't know about delusional, but you have to be motivated. Yeah. That's by definition. You're deluding yourself about human nature. I think if you're a communist, because you think that, People will all agree to this platform, this concept that everybody should just give away anything else that they get that's extra and that, quote unquote, to each according to or to each's needs according to their the hell was it to each according to their ability is according to their need or something like that. Mark said yeah, some sort of thing like that. But that's yeah, it, it is silly to be a communist requires one to allow their emotions to override their ability to reason things out and to realize that, oh, obviously this is not going to appeal to everyone. This is not going to work. There's economic calculations problems and all of these other things. But to the communists, it's just motivated by a misunderstanding of communism. Like Sarah, as we understand it, has actually attended communist meetings. And like she was mm-hmm. really probably, you would assume, has read Marx and Engels and stuff at some point. And when you ask her what aspects of communism she likes, she's like, oh, I like Medicaid and food security and all Mm -hmm. of this other stuff that, yeah, that's not the communism 
that we see in governments around the world. And thank you for pointing out that the United States government has plenty of aspects to it that are communistic and that are a problem. And that despite that, the United States government still wants stupid people and doesn't want intelligent people. So we're going to talk later about U.S. dollar tether and how it's freezing assets in Pakistan, also freezing aspects. But I want to change the subject entirely here to talk about a goldfish Hmm. that scientists taught to drive a vehicle on land. Huh. The title of this article got my attention because it's Scientists Defy God Teach Goldfish to Drive on Land. Is this real? It is real, believe it or not. Where is this from? What's the story? It's from Vice. They created huh. a some sort of four-wheeled vehicle here with a goldfish tank on top, and they put water in it for the goldfish. And I don't know the mechanism of how the goldfish steers the thing. Mm-hmm. After a long day at work, the modern goldfish no longer has to take public transportation home. It can drive via a fish-operated vehicle, according to new research. Documented in a report, that's, that's all boring, over a number of 30-minute sessions... They pointed the device toward a visual target and rewarded the fish with food each time they reached it. Recorded recorded the number of times the fish hit the target, how long it took, and how far the fish traveled along the way. Hmm. I'm really curious, and it doesn't say, what mechanism did the goldfish use to actually steer this thing? Uh, As per the paper available online, according to thedrive.com, the apparatus is straightforward. The goldfish were placed in a small transparent tank of water placed on top of a robot chassis. A camera mounted above the tank tracked the fish's position and orientation. If the fish swam outward toward a given wall, the robot would move in that direction. I presume this is the same situation you're describing. Okay. Uh, It's not an actual car that you're thinking of but But it is a vehicle vehicle uh when the fish drove up to a pink target on the wall they would be rewarded with food so based on the direction the fish swam okay that's a smart way of doing it other than the fact that eventually the goldfish will hit the wall so if they want to actually go straight toward this thing they're going to end up swimming into a wall in order to do that Videos of the session shared by study co-author went viral on Twitter and were met with an array of dad jokes about fish learning to drive. And this isn't even the first study to capture fish-machine interactions. The work supports broader understanding of how species move through environments not meant for them. The fish managed to avoid dead ends and correct inaccuracies over the course of these trials. Indeed, the study notes that all six fish got better at meeting their targets with time suggesting that goldfish are capable of learning and improving at the efficiency which which they move through environments. Well, why wouldn't they be capable of learning? Well, a lot of... I, I skipped part of that. Yeah. Is learning from novel environments mm-hmm. and improving at the efficiency of moving through them. But you raise, a, you raise a good point that it's sort of obvious, except is it you wouldn't expect a fish to be able to navigate land... Or even to have the ability to learn to do that. But does it matter now that I think about it? Because it's still just moving from one space to the other, and fish know how to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it it presents these animals with a different environment and sees how they respond to different incentives in a completely new environment. And as it turns out, animals respond to incentives. Yeah, they did treat them. And the incentive was to learn a new thing, which in their case wasn't so much new. They're just swimming, right? Like right. they didn't do anything different. They didn't grow an arm and you know manipulate a control pad or press a button or anything like that. Um, but they learned that they could move this 
move themselves closer to a goal um, by well, going they in that to, direction. They learned to swim toward a pink thing at yeah. the very least. Mm-hmm. That was the goal. Yeah. And then they, you know, got rewarded for doing that. I, I mean, it's clear that animals learn. That's not like some sort of revelation here, but it is interesting to see in what, under what circumstances uh, that they're able to learn. And, you know, if they're able to learn how to do new things entirely, then that's pretty cool, too. I saw another video recently about a rat that had been taught how to play Doom. Did you see really? that one? I did not see that one. Yeah, it was. it's pretty... I mean, I imagine the rat's not very good yeah. at playing Doom, <laughs> yeah. but still, being able to play it at all is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, they like can... put it on a big trackball, basically, and it can kind of run forward in place, essentially, and move the Doom character forward, and then I forget how they indicated whether it was to fire the gun at the uh, the Doom baddies. So the rat whatever. was capable of even firing the gun in Doom? I believe so, but oh, I don't recall okay. the details on how well that worked out. <laughs> can't imagine it went very well it was it it, it probably it sounds like this fish experiment went a little bit better than the rat doom experiment but nonetheless interesting things well it's easier for the fish to contextualize you know swim toward pink thing than it is for a rat to understand okay i'm controlling this character this 2d representation of a character in a video game the rat understood that no, but it's intri- I'm going to have to look into that because I've certainly never heard about it. But it does turn out that goldfish actually navigate land pretty well. Although, mm-hmm. as we get further into it, I'm not entirely sure that's what this study actually confirms. It seems to me that goldfish were just trained to be rewarded when they swam towards something that was pink. Yes, that's what it sounds like. They probably had no understanding that they were actually moving this vehicle or navigating land or anything like that. They just understood they were swimming toward pink. But they did get better at it, but... All they really got better at, again, was swimming toward pink. So it's fascinating that fish or goldfish did, for better or worse, drive a vehicle toward a pink object. It's There's an interesting detail here. The pink target was moved to a different location in the room, and the fish were tested again. Initially, they drove toward the old, toward the old location in an attempt to receive the reward. So they actually were going in the same direction, despite the fact that the pink had been moved. But then when they did not get the reward, they then learned that the pink target was the key to the task and went for the pink target. Fascinating. So, so they did just learn to go after learn. the pink top? Yeah. yeah. 603-283-6160. When we get back, we're going to talk about Tether and how it's freezing assets. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where your calls and opinions are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in on a subject. It's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And I want to say thank you to Nathan and to what I'm hoping is a EC Quaker Christian anarchist. Both of them are amplifiers. That means they're members of the AMPS program. You can find it at amps.freetalklive.com. That's our Patreon. Go there. Sign up if you like the show and you want to help advertise, market, promote, and support Free Talk Live. That's the best way to do it. As I learned while looking through this a few days ago, it technically takes $5 per month unless you pay with a different currency. Using Australian dollars, we had someone sign up for like $2 and something, and I don't know if there's any way to even fix that. It's not a big yeah, that was deal interesting. to me to bother <laughs> with in the first place, but it does take 5 bucks per month, in theory, to get in. That's amps.freetalklive.com. 
It does have a number of cool little perks, like namely the Amps Only podcast, which is the same the podcast version of the show, but without any of the ads that are injected in between various segments. So check out the program, amps.freetalklive.com. We have David calling from New Mexico. David, you're on Free Talk Live. I got an idea for a crypto. So around the world, uh, we dissolve country by country their government and liquidate all of the assets that are held by the government and use that to back a crypto, a coin, that uh, can then be distributed in the way that the crypto is distributed and utilized. It accomplishes two birds, it kills two birds with one stone, gets rid of the government and creates uh, uh, something that's actually useful, uh, a form of uh, currency that's actually backed by something, all of the ill-gotten gains that governments have stolen from people around the world. I always liked Harry Brown's idea. He was the uh, presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party in 1996 and 2000. And his proposal was that you take a wrecking ball to the IRS building and then auction off the pieces of the IRS building. And, you know, you can raise money voluntarily because people then have, like, you know, a real keepsake. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah, that's a good one. And now with NFTs, you can really <laughs> take that to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, well, we could. Yeah, you could sell uh, NFTs of. Uh, well, let me think. Let me think of some cruel things to do to some politicians, and you could take images of that and and sell uh, JPEGs of it or whatever they're doing of, of that and and uh, raise money that way. Why use the crypto backed by these assets though, instead of just distributing those assets? Well, you could do the same. It'd be, it'd be the same thing. So you could you could make crypto out of it and then distribute it to the people that it was taken from. But why not distribute the assets themselves instead of the crypto that is being well, backed by those assets? Well, well, because if you just distribute the assets, you do it once and it's all over and gone. But if you turn it into a crypto, you've got a useful tool that can be used forever. But if people decide they want the asset, they could just trade it in and then it's forever gone as anyway, right? No, no. With just their part, the crypto remains. It exists. It goes to whoever, whomever they sold it to. But it's no longer backed by anything because someone cashed in their crypto for the asset. Sounds complicated. Um, well, no, no, not actually, because the, the, the crypto, I mean, you should, I, I don't know anything about this. This is just what I deduce from listening to you guys. But if you, cre- if you take, if you have a pool of assets and then you divide that into crypto and distribute the crypto, if somebody sells their crypto, um, that they, the, the coin itself wasn't destroyed. It just passed from one person to another. That's correct. But and, the idea of a, of a currency that is backed by something is that at any time you can take that currency and have it exchanged for the asset that is backing it. Like when the U.S. was on the gold standard, you could take your dollar to the bank and, say, in theory, say, hey, I want to cash in these dollars and I want my gold in return. And they would have that gold to give to you. So if someone were to cash in this cryptocurrency to get some of these assets that, you know, people seized from the government or whatever, that that cryptocurrency becomes less valuable because some of those assets have been claimed and the cryptocurrency still exists. Well, it seems to me then that you organize the, the monetary system a different way. You don't, you don't actually cash in, you don't sell the crypto, you don't cash it in that way. It's just something that exists and is backed by these, this fund that is then invested and ever growing, and therefore the crypto could grow more and more in value as the assets behind it 
are invested and and grow. Who would and control this fund? This is ridiculous uh, yeah. theory, and it's very silly. I wish you the best implementing it. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for the call tonight, uh, but if David. Somebody, if somebody turns in a crypto that is backed by a thing, they take that crypto out of circulation. It's destroyed. That's what you would expect, but David's argument was that the crypto wasn't destroyed. Well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Fair. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, I, don't I just argue don't argue with someone who doesn't know what they're talking about <laughs> with crypto. It's just pointless. Fair point. But again, thank you so much for the call tonight, David. I just don't see the value of a cryptocurrency being backed by, I mean, gold isn't backed by anything, but it's been used as a reliable form of currency for thousands of years. It doesn't need to be backed by something. It's valuable. Right. I would the argue the you, same is true for Bitcoin. Yeah. The reason you back something is if it doesn't have value, if it's just a piece of paper, which is what the dollar is, then you make it valuable by backing it, or you just force people to accept it in the case of the dollar, which is why people take it. And no longer backed by anything, unfortunately, and a lot of Americans still don't seem to realize that. There was a time when it was, and then they were called silver certificates, because you could turn it in at the Federal Reserve Bank and actually get silver. Yeah, I, I guess you couldn't just walk into your local branch of a bank and do that. I don't know. I don't know how all that worked. Presumably, you should be able to do that. I think if you're going to have a gold or silver-backed cryptocurrency, I mean, a gold or silver-backed currency, you should be able to just walk into your local branch of bank. I would think. Yeah, and then they could get reimbursed by the Fed or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, I don't want to implement more banks, and I don't want to implement some new economic system that, I mean, how would such a thing even work? If such a thing was even possible, who's going to decide how these assets are invested and what if they're wrong and what they invest in loses money, then everyone's money becomes worthless? Are you going to have some board members make this decision? In know. that case, you, you've just got a representative government all over again. Or I would just be happy if the government went away. That, that would be enough for me. Yes. I, I don't want to... David can have all the assets. I, I tend to agree. <laughs> I, I don't want any of the assets the government's claimed because... The the war is won at that point. There's no mm-hmm. more government, right? That is the greatest reward we could possibly <laughs> imagine. By then, what to do with the assets is kind of a useless question. I mean, those assets will work their way into circulation. Yeah, give them the, away, set them on fire. I really don't care. Yeah, it'll work uh, out. I mean, the amount of wealth that the world would create or that area of the world would create in the absence of the state would be tremendous in short order. Absolutely. But because of the state, we do have things like... You, that, now, there are dollar tethers that can't freeze people's access, assets. I think there's DAI, that's D-A-I, that isn't capable of doing that, but it may be the only one. But uh, Also, UST, which is Terra's stablecoin, which I, just surpassed DAI recently. Okay. I did not know they had mm-hmm. one. So, Terra is not, what are they, like an Ethereum thing where you can make tokens on it as well? No. I mean, I, without getting into the technical aspects, which I probably couldn't explain very well, um, like Dai, Terra is a decentralized stablecoin. Okay, uh, it's actually a stablecoin platform, so it has more than just U.S. It has the Korean won. It has like a Mon- Mongolian, whatever the hell they've got in Mongolia. It's got a bunch of different ones, but the uh, the UST is their number one uh, tether. Or it's their no, no, tether's not the right word because it's only tethered to the price of a dollar. It's not tethered to an actual dollar. There's no dollar backing it. It's backed by Another cryptocurrency, which is called Luna, which is the uh, the value that's behind the Terra dollar. It's it's this an interesting is all very thing. complicated. Yeah, there's yeah. there is there's an interesting video online that explains it, and it's 
both of the Terra and the die are complicated to explain. Die is basically an over collateralized coin. So the way die works is they issue new die based on people putting in Ethereum or Bitcoin into their system, but they have to put in like two times as much. Uh, Ethereum in order to 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 mint new dollar dies, and that's I'm way oversimplifying sure. that. And then the Terra thing is like this ecosystem between this one coin called Luna, which is right now the tenth largest cryptocurrency by market cap uh, at value of over eighty four dollars per per unit. And essentially, a Luna can always mint new Terra into existence, can mint new USTs into existence. So you could get presumably 84 USTs out of one uh, one Luna. It's amazing to and me back and forth. hearing this, how much the cryptocurrency world has really changed since I've gotten into it. And it's, yeah. it's hard to recognize that because I've watched it evolve, but there was a time when you wouldn't have a random cryptocurrency worth $84 per coin. It may be worth 0. 0.000084 cents per token, but just in a matter of a few years, I mean, back then there was Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Litecoin, that was more or less it. Everything else was just sort of also running. But now there's thousands of cryptocurrencies, some of which are extremely valuable, like $84 for this currency I've never even heard of. The world is moving fast and cryptocurrency is moving with it. 603-283-6160 if you want to join the conversation. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. Going into the third hour here, you're still invited to share your thoughts and opinions. 603-283-6160 if you would like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And there are a number of dollar tethers and things like that. These stable coins, as they're called, that are back, that are pegged one-to-one to one specific fiat currency or another. We were just, during the break, watching an explanation of how Luna and Terra... Terra and Luna. Well, ter- Luna is Terra's cryptocurrency, and from that, they mint these USTs into existence. So essentially, one of their USTs is backed by a dollar's worth of Luna. It's a very... so There's no actual US dollars involved, which you must be pissing off the government. Yeah, I like that aspect of it because, as we've talked about before, there's really no mechanism in place to ensure that uh, Tether actually has the USD that they're supposed to have. And I don't want a government mechanism in place or anything like that. I don't I don't think that would do any good. Well, the traditional mechanism of something that is backed by a thing, whatever the promise is, whether it's a note that is backed by uh, an ounce of gold or whatever, or something in a vault somewhere, the traditional check on that is a third-party audit is hired so an auditing company that is not the not tether some third party some supposedly trusted authority would then come in to the vault and they would say mm-hmm, looks like you have this amount blah 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 and they you know they come up with a list of all the things that are supposedly the tether says are backing the tether right now and then they would verify that for whatever reason that doesn't exist with uh, with tether not to my knowledge at least now i don't follow them closely as far as the controversy about them but for years there has been a controversy a question mark as to whether or not Tether, the number one stablecoin on the planet with nearly $80 billion uh, that they claim to have, 
that they've issued. They've issued like $78 billion worth of these tethers. So supposedly they have $78 billion worth of assets uh, to, and presumably they're liquid, uh, meaning they're available. Well, hopefully they're not in the United States. Oh, I'm sure that they are in in many cases in the United States. Well, that's silly on their part. Um, Well, that's the problem with centralized stable coins is they have to physically have something somewhere in order to back them up. So somewhere they've got a vault, somewhere they've got a bank account or a series of bank accounts or whatever, and those can be raided by by governments. And governments have the the government gangs have their eyes on these stablecoin people because they're they feel like they're a threat. Well, I mean, they beat the central bank of the United States to doing what the central bank of the United States wants to do, which is to create its own digital currency. But Well, they haven't even made a decision on that yet. Last I heard, the central bank in the United States is still just researching. So other central banks in the rest of the world have done this. Apparently, the Nigerian Naira uh, has launched as a uh, what they call a central bank digital currency. China allegedly has done it. China's working on it. I don't know if they're done yet. I'm not sure what the status is I thought it had launched. I think Nigeria actually beat everybody to the punch, but I could be wrong about that. You know, it raises the question of why why should there be a central bank digital currency when the, the free market has already solved that problem and created a currency that is representative of the USD online well the answer from their perspective is total control of your finances yes and monitoring but they already have that with tether and that's one of the biggest reasons i want to see it go down they're freeze they have in the past and they are doing it now and they will continue to do it freezing people's assets because some government or another told them to and i believe you have a story about this and again this isn't a new thing this is oh yes this has happened again and this time it just happens to be for a, sub- a substantial amount of tether at more than a million U.S. dollars worth. Uh, the BlockCrypto.com reporting that tether has now blacklisted an address on the Ethereum network that had over a million USDT, which are what the short code is for, uh, for tether, uh, in it. The Tether spokesperson told the block that Tether regularly works with regulators and police uh, for uh, freezing addresses. The stablecoin issuer froze over a million dollars, according to on-chain data. Uh, The amount is significant, given it belongs all to one address. Tether called the added blacklist function on December 30th to block the address with the transaction. And then they cite here in the article for those that want to verify. You can go and look and see the address and see it's, uh, so see they it's just, sitting there. They just burned a million dollars of someone's money. Well, they I don't know if they burned it. They've blacklisted it, meaning that it cannot move from that address. Presumably, Tether has the ability to move it as well. So you would think so. I'm guessing that what they've done here is there's probably some sort of criminal investigation going on regarding this. The police contacted Tether and said, hey, can you freeze this address uh, for us? And they said, sure, officer. And then they did that. And then maybe at some point they will be authorized to move the million dollars into the government's uh, address. Hopefully not. I'm just guessing that they have that ability. I, I'm sure I've, they do. I believe I've read that they can undo a transaction. So if they yes, can undo a that. transaction, they can probably move anything anywhere that they want to would be my guess. Because it's all just uh, with, with these stable coins like Tether, these centrally backed stable coins. These are what are called smart contracts. And right. so clearly they have certain administrative functions programmed into these smart contracts that allow somebody with the with control to go in there and just 
steal things. Smart contracts are so fascinating. I remember when they first began you know, really being talked about a number of years ago. I wish I had learned more about them and how they function and, and what can be done with them. But I just didn't because it's so technical. But basically, it's like an if-then statement. If this is true, then this happens as a result. And that's mm-hmm. what these smart contracts are. What makes them smart is that they're self-executing. They're able to detect when those conditions are met and fulfill the contract as a result of that. Yeah. Well, smart contract is a different way of saying program because what right. Ethereum basically is, for listeners that aren't familiar, Ethereum's the number two cryptocurrency by market cap. So Bitcoin's number one, Ethereum's number two. Sadly, and, uh, Ethereum somehow has not managed to kill itself yet. Well, Ethereum is useful. It's just not as useful because the fees have gone absolutely insane. The network is just full and has not scaled appropriately. And they're trying to fix that, but it hasn't happened yet. So maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I don't know that I can agree that Ethereum is useful. Not since the hard fork that created Ethereum Classic. When well, Ethereum I mean, was just... like, oh, someone got robbed. We're going to roll back the entire blockchain. At that point, I mean... They kind of stop being useful because I can't trust that a transaction on their network isn't going to be just undone at their will. I get where you're coming from on that. The fact is that hasn't happened since then. Um, And there's certainly been plenty of scams that have been run on Ethereum since that time. So, uh, you know, yes, they could do that again. But by definition, it's useful because it's being used by I don't know how many millions of people all around the world to issue tokens and to write smart contracts and so on and so forth. So and it's I very, suspect very with the number of smart contracts and tokens that exist right now, it would be very difficult for them to roll back the Ethereum network because that's going to affect every single one of those tokens and smart contracts and whatever else has been sent and received or executed on the Ethereum network. By the way, according to the statistics here, the folks over at theblockcrypto.com, which wrote this article, they've got a little chart that shows the number of USDT banned addresses on the Ethereum blockchain, according to this, uh, in the last, looks like it really ramped up in 2020. So toward the end of 2020, they really started to kick into gear and ban a whole bunch of addresses. It went from a total of 96 addresses that had been banned all the way from going back from like early 2018 through october of 2020 and then all of a sudden it went from 96 to 219 within like a couple of weeks that's a huge spike and now it's up to around 523 so there's several hundred addresses that have been uh, frozen due to whatever governments have requested tethered to do this sort of thing so no. your money is not safe It is if it is on one of these. First of all, it's not safe because it's in dollars. Uh, but sure. se- secondly, because uh, you're going to lose value as the, the U.S. government prints more of them. But uh, it's certainly not safe in the case of uh, centralized stable coins because if they want to, they can just reach right in and freeze your freeze your money. Does it say whatever happened to the original 96 that were uh, blacked out or whatever? Did, they, did those funds ever get moved anywhere? No, or I don't still have just that frozen? information. I'm not sure about that. Either way, I would avoid any cryptocurrency where they can just freeze all of your assets. Uh, That, to me, is sort of counter to what cryptocurrency was supposed to be, where you could control it. You didn't have to ask anyone's permission. No one could deny you that permission. It was your money. You could spend it however you wanted, whenever you wanted. The U.S. dollar tether at least goes counter to that. 603-283-6160 if you want to. And we're going to talk about Pakistan, also freezing accounts. It's Free Talk Live. Yeah! 
It's Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, share your thoughts and opinions, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And... Long time co-host and friend, nobody. We're not allowed to have any contact with him. In fact, he's not. Also, he's also not allowed to make any public statements, from what I understand. That's right. No television or radio appearances or anything like that. But we feel like he has said some things that still need to be said. So Bonnie has been going through in recent weeks, taking, looking at old videos of him and you know his Twitter feed and stuff like that, finding quotes from nobody that we can share with people. Tonight's is an anarchist is one who takes the old adage to its logical conclusion and realizes that government, which governs the best, is the one that governs not at all. And that's a statement I love. And I sort of said that when I ran for sheriff. I said that to Republicans. Hey, you like you like no ta- low taxes, to, right? Well, I just go a little bit further than that to its conclusion of no taxes. Indeed. So it's just, just a little bit more extreme to take things to its logical conclusion, but it is... The logical conclusion. If government is bad, it is. get rid of it. Taxes are, some would say theft, I would say extortion. Either way, it's bad and needs to be ended. I think technically extortion is probably closer to, yes. because people do pay their taxes. The government doesn't come and rob them, but they do that because you know they're sort of being told that they don't. Then, Somebody's going to hurt them. Yes, which... Classic extortion. Classic extortion. That's mob extortion. That's saying, hey, we, we want our protection money, otherwise something bad may happen to you or your family. And governments around the world have used that to extort Tether into blacklisting, I think you said, 500 and something different Ethereum addresses. The most recent, more than a million dollars of Tether frozen And that's because an Tether is a company, a centralized entity that exists to serve the state, ultimately. I mean, if they don't do what the state wants them to, they'll get shut down. They will have their accounts raided. They will be completely destroyed by the state. And so they have to cozy up to the state, even though the sort of the... the the purpose of cryptocurrency and its original founding document from Satoshi Nakamoto, which we just celebrated Bitcoin's 13th birthday yesterday, uh, was to essentially undermine state money and undermine the banking uh, monopoly or oligopoly system and give people an op- opportunity to actually have control over their value for the first time ever, basically. Uh, and it's been very successful at that. So, you know, no the- one can, no one can blacklist. I mean, Coinbase can blacklist your Bitcoin address and say, oh, we're not taking Bitcoin from this address, but that doesn't freeze your Bitcoin. You can still send it and receive it, just not to Coinbase. As long as you don't have it on Coinbase, yes. If you have it in your own wallet, then you have control over it. And that was sort of the ethos of cryptocurrency is control over your money. And Tether goes backwards on that. Tether gives them control. If they want to freeze your account, they can freeze your account. If they want to reverse a transaction, they can reverse a transaction. And they are completely beholden to the state. Now, the New York state, I believe, is suing Tether at the moment for access to whatever sort of proof that they have that they're actually backed. So the state ain't being friendly towards tether but yet tether's trying to be friendly towards the state well we saw the same thing with coinbase right. with its ceo and its people doing everything they can to kiss up to government and the government's like yep nope the sec's coming after you anyway well guess who's running the number two largest stable coin on the planet binance coinbase 
It's Coinbase? USDC. Okay. Coinbase is a partner. I think they're partnered with a company called Circle, uh, but Coinbase is a major player in USDC. It's basically their stablecoin. I was not aware. Yeah, if you go, if you're on Coinbase these days, you can get their USDC native by just depositing dollars from your bank account. So they beat out Binance Coin already, or oh, am yeah. I misremembering? Binance USDC's uh, in the top ten. Binance is, I think, number fourteen or something like that. USDC, I think, there's around forty billion in uh, in circulation out there now. USDC actually does have audits, from what I understand, in place. They're insured, so there's definitely... Well, it's Coinbase. I, yeah. I'd expect them to jump through all of the hoops and do everything they can to get their paperwork signed and in order. Yeah, but either way, both Coinbase and Tether are centralized corporations. They are points that governments will put pressure on and are putting pressure on because you know the state is embarrassed by stablecoins. As you pointed out, the, the stablecoins beat the state to the, to the punch at issuing a truly digital version of the dollar. Meaning that even though they have their abilities to freeze accounts and all that, for the most part, you can create a cryptocurrency wallet, like Edge Wallet or something like that, and you can receive these 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 crypto tokens, these stable coins from whoever wants to pay them to you, and then you can send them to whoever whomever you want, and these things are confirmed within, I don't know, however quick a Ethereum transaction is. I think that's like just a couple minutes or less. I think Ethereum's like... Maybe less than once a minute. I'm honestly not sure what it is off I'm offhand, sure. but it's it is faster, way faster than Bitcoin. But it's the equivalent uh, of sending someone that amount in actual U.S. dollars. Right. It's the equivalent of writing them a check, or is making a debit card payment, or wiring them money, or but Western without Union. having to wait on Western Union, or without having to wait on the banks and the you know the ACH system or the wiring system. So not to mention the fees that are attached to using these things. Well, of course, the Ethereum fees are ridiculously high. So That's it's, true. It's a bad plan actually to send them for small <laughs> amounts these days but there are um t- to be fair tether actually does exist on multiple platforms so uh for instance on the bitcoin cash token i believe tether exists there and there wouldn't be a way for them to freeze a bitcoin cash address so there may be some ways to use tether which would uh, avoid that um it's something i haven't looked deeply into and i'm not sure offhand which blockchains that they're on and I, although I know that they are on Bitcoin Cash as a, as a token, I don't know how many of them are on Bitcoin Cash or how often right. it is used. So, like most, or what people, the differences are between their Ethereum version and their Bitcoin Cash version. Well, the Bitcoin Cash one would be cheap. You'd be able to easily send it for a fraction of a of a penny. Uh, that Fair would be point. a huge difference right there. And hopefully, there's a different. I I would hope that the Bitcoin Cash smart contract system doesn't allow for Tether to freeze people's assets. So I hope that that's technology what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think it's a smart contract. There. Yeah, it's uh, I don't think Bitcoin Cash uh the Bitcoin Cash tokens are not smart contract based tokens. They've just issued they they built tokens into Bitcoin Cash. It's not like something that I don't think Tether can can specify any details about. We get to freeze your accounts. That's my understanding uh of that, but I like I said, I'm not an expert. Don't don't yeah, take I don't, that as God's word here. I remember when they introduced tokens, when Bitcoin Cash, that is, introduced yeah. tokens, but I didn't read into the specifics or anything like that. I created a Bitcoin Cash token, yep. and it was useless, and you know, it took me point zero 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 some right. infinitesimally small amount of Bitcoin Cash in order to create this token that I never did absolutely anything with, but it was a neat thing. It was really simple to do. It was a little bit simpler, I would say, than creating an Ethereum token, mm-hmm. but that's because Ethereum requires you to install MetaMask or Parity or something like that in order to create your token. I imagine you can do it online now, 
But yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can. Back then, you had to use parody or something along those lines in order to do it. It just wasn't very user-friendly. Here, all you had to have was a Bitcoin cash wallet. There you go. You can create your token. Yep. So it wasn't difficult by any means. And uh, But, of course, I didn't try to do anything complicated with it, like pegging it to the dollar or anything like that. Or try, well, if this person has some of my tokens, can, can I freeze that person's tokens? Hopefully, those things just aren't supported by the Bitcoin Cash Network. And, of course, now I can't really look into it. So I'm just nope. never going to really have the answer to that, regrettably, unless you know the answer. 603-283-6160. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. Your calls and opinions are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. We're talking about government overreach in general tonight. And this is one of the issues with the U.S. dollar as a whole. Other, Unless you have cash in your pocket, which you don't really want to do because cash is constantly losing value. So you don't want to just have, you know your life savings sitting around in your house in cash under the mattress or whatever. So unless you have that, though, the U.S. government can pretty much just seize your money or freeze your account whenever they want. Or the bank will do it because of U.S. regulations or Tether will do it because of upcoming U.S. regulations. Or governments will just... They like being able to control people's finances because this is how they control you. Mm-hmm. This is what we're seeing with the adaptation of the central the central bank digital currency that's going to be developed in China. They've already got the social credit system in place. If you make your government sufficiently unhappy, they'll just cut off your ability to buy food, to pay your rent, to spend any money whatsoever. Sure. That's the ultimate level of control for them. And I oppose that. I don't like the fact that they can have your bank account closed or have your money frozen on Tether. If you add in the social credit system and all of that other stuff, it's just it's a terrible idea. So we already do have decentralized uh, dollar tethers. I, I don't really see the need in the long run for dollar tethers. I'd rather... As long as people value the dollar, there's a use for a dollar tether. I'd rather see the dollar eliminated from society as a whole, though. Me too. But that's probably not going to happen next year. No, it's just going to happen eventually. I mean, I look how think. long the boulevard has held on. I mean, this thing has been debased beyond belief. The Venezuelan boulevard, for listeners that don't know, we mentioned it last night. In the last decade, it has been not just the last decade. I think in we the looked last up like- five years. They have they have slashed eleven zeros. Off the back of the uh, the boulevard, meaning that uh, it was five zeros in 2018, and then another six zeros, I believe, in October. So this is like, I can't even quickly process what sort of number uh, has like a one and then eleven zeros off of it. Yeah, it's a lot. It feels like that's probably ten billion or something like that. Just guessing, but it's like waking up with a ten billion dollar bill and having your government tell you that, oh no, that's worth one dollar now. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's what they did. And it it stills I mean your money isn't very valuable in the first place if you have that much of it, but it 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 doesn't solve anything. It's just the government playing with zeros and robbing you blind in the process. And I tend to think eventually the United States government is going to have to pull something like that. I don't yeah. know how far away we are from that, but eventually they they're, they're going to have to try it. 
Because that's the only trick they're going to have left in order to, to pull the wool over people's eyes. So 11 zeros would take $100 billion and make it $1. <laughs> I can't even imagine a economic system. How horrible must it be in Venezuela? How much? What is it? What would a loaf of bread cost in Venezuela if... Prior to the last redenomination, um, hundreds of thousands of uh, It seems like Bolivar. it would have to be significantly more than Millions that. of Bolivar. Yeah, or billions. Yeah, it's If crazy. they could knock off so many zeros that people had $100 billion notes in their pockets, absolutely insane. The U.S. government isn't quite that bad nope. with this inflation. But it just goes to show, the point I brought up there was that the Bolivar's still around. It's changed form four different times, but they still call the thing that they have today a Bolivar. And, uh, you know, there was the fuert, uh, Bolivar Fuerte was the strong Bolivar. That was the one that they created after the, the previous Bolivar <laughs> when they knocked three zeros. But only back in the day, they only knocked three zeros off in 2007 to create the Bolivar Fuerte. And then uh, nine, no, uh, ten, 11 years later, in 2018, they then knocked five zeros off to create the Bolivar uh, Soberano, which stands for Sovereign Bolivar, which is just laughable, right? The Sovereign. Yeah. And then now, I think they're calling it the Digital Bolivar. I think that's the new term for it. And that's the one they knocked six zeros off the Sovereign Bolivar to create the new uh, Digital Bolivar. And it's just a matter of time before they're knocking more zeros off. Well, I think their plan is to go to a central bank digital currency eventually there in Venezuela. So their plan is to get rid of the physical currency, and then they can just manipulate the hell out of the money supply. That's the other benefit of the central bank digital currency is like if you actually have physical dollars running around then that causes problems people can hoard them you don't know how many of them that people have so problems from the government's perspective they want to know sure. how much you have they want to have total control and the ability to just press a button and increase the money supply press a button and then just pay oodles of new dollars to their you know government connected buddies in the military and the medical industrial complexes rather than actually having to print up new uh you know new denominations of currency and then recall old ones because that's what venezuela has to do right if they if they knock six zeros off of their million bolivar bill well then that means people need to go to the, the banks and turn in their millions to get ones so there's yeah. this whole big shifting process of replacements that goes on over six months or however long of a period of time. If they have a central bank digital currency, all that problem is gone. It's already mostly gone for the United States. I, I think the number is like 97% of all USD in circulation exists only in digital form. Wow. like That's crazy. Yeah. So it's already largely digital only. Yeah. If, if the U.S. government says, hey, we need $10, 10 trillion or whatever, the... Federal Reserve doesn't actually have to it, print yeah. it. They just say, okay, here, we'll send that number over on the computer. Now you have $10 trillion and That's the government right. spends $10 trillion. It's, it's a complete mess. Yeah. But, but Tether and companies like it, they did beat these central banks to creating these digital currencies. And I don't like that there's still a weak point for the government to pressure, but I would rather it be USDT instead of Federal Reserve coin or whatever. You know. Yeah, and and again, the Federal Reserve hasn't yet made a decision. They've been investigating and investigating and investigating as to whether or not they want to go through with a uh, dollar, not stable coin, but uh, central bank digital currency, as they call it. 
uh, which is not a cryptocurrency, just to be clear. It's not cryptography. It's not, you know, secure. It's it's completely controlled and completely, you know, monitored by the overseer, uh, the federal It is more or less the opposite of what we would want out of a cryptocurrency. Yes, it will disempower people and make them uh, more addicted to the state because it will allow them to make, for instance, welfare payments. All welfare payments will then go through the federal system you know right now if you're getting a stimulus check they still have to send the money to the banks yeah well now they would just accredit your account in the federal reserve system because every individual would then have a federal reserve account with the central bank digital currency and this is one of the reasons why they're having a tough time pitching this is because it effectively will disempower private banks and the private banks they got a lot of money locked up right like there's trillions of dollars in the the banking's well uh, aren't the private banks and the federal reserve bank basically the same thing Ultimately, no. The uh, private banks are essentially offshoots from the Federal Reserve Bank. They exist to the pleasure of the Federal Reserve Bank. But if the Federal Reserve Bank says, yeah, we don't really need you guys anymore. We're going to do this ourselves. Then that cuts them out. Isn't it like the 12 largest banks in the United States that comprise the Federal Reserve Bank? Like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, I think... Uh, J.P. Morgan I'm Chase. I'm not sure about that. I, I suspect some of them serve on boards of the Federal Reserve. Uh, different, like there's different Federal Reserve branches around yeah. the the country. I suspect some of the bankers are involved in those things, but I don't know for sure. You know how much of them are. See, I always understood it to be sort of like the UN, and these twelve major banks were like the UN Security Council. Were like they were permanent, and they were hmm. the whole. Th- thing sort of but well if that's true then the central bank digital currency has no chance um but the fact is they are looking at this and the reason is because it benefits the the state and i don't know that's an interesting question aria to to find out what portion of the federal reserve boards are are made up of by major bankers Uh, if it's a large portion it's going to have a tough time getting the central bank digital currency through because it is ultimately a threat to the status quo of big bankers and it's been such a long time since I looked into the Federal Reserve Bank. I mean, that was like 2008, Aria, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember all the details. I just remember, man, this system sounds horrible, and there's nothing they can do to convince me otherwise. But I don't, I don't remember the specifics of how it worked or why it was so t- tightly closed to major, tightly tied to major banks. Maybe you remember 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live going into the final segment here on an episode where we've been talking about just government overreach, governments controlling people. Even Sarah got in on it and decided to point out that governments want stupid people. They don't want people who can think for themselves. They want a dumbed down public. And that's the entire point, as far as I can tell, of the American education system. It certainly didn't teach me much that was very useful or that was going to help me think critically, all of that stuff I learned outside of school. So the governments, they like controlling people. That's well known. And I mean, even our quote from nobody tonight was all about the overreach and the the evils that are government agencies. They're violent, criminal sociopaths. Well, they're not criminal because they set up this system where they're allowed to be violent sociopaths and it doesn't count. It's legal when as they do criminal. It. Yes. Yeah. But that's all they are. They're violent, they're violent psychopaths, and they like controlling people's lives, and they want dumb people in order to do that, and they want more control 
over your life in whatever form it can take. We may see some sort of central bank digital currency in the United States. I tend to think we probably won't, but who knows? They don't need that, though. They have the same abilities that the Pakistani government is demonstrating, and you have an article about that where they have frozen people's bank accounts for being involved in crypto trading. Is crypto trading illegal? In Pakistan? Good question. Uh, here's the story from news.bitcoin.com. And then I learned something about speaking of inflation. We mentioned Turkey's inflation is looking pretty bad right now with uh, two digits. I've got an update on that. It's, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, that um, was something like 30% the 36%, last we talked about. Yeah. Uh, Painful. News.bitcoin.com recording, uh, reporting here that authorities in Pakistan have moved to seize hundreds of bank accounts and cards belonging to cryptocurrency traders. According to local media, they've been allegedly used to make transactions worth to close to $300,000 through digital asset exchanges, including major platforms. The bank accounts and the names of over a thousand individuals have been frozen by Pakistan's Federal Investigation Agency, the FIA. The law enforcement authority acted on request. So their version of the FBI sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, on request from the Cyber Crime Reporting Center in Islamabad, according to the Pakistan Observer this week. Uh, officials claim the accounts have been utilized to process transactions worth a total of 51 million Pakistani rupees, which is near to uh, 290,000 U.S. dollars, made by persons to and from a number of crypto exchanges such as Binance, Coinbase, and CoinMama. The agency has also blocked their credit cards, which have been used to buy and sell Ouch. digital coins. The so pub- these people are just locked out of the banking system. Yep. Uh, the publication added it reminded residents that the State Bank of Pakistan prohibits the purchase and sale of cryptocurrencies with a circular issued by its Banking Policy and Regulation Department as of April of 2018. Despite the ban, however, cryptos like Bitcoin have enjoyed growing popularity among investors in the country. According to an estimate from a recently published report by the Federation of Pakistan Chambers of Commerce, and industry, Pakistanis hold $20 billion worth of cryptocurrency. So it just goes to show that even in countries where crypto is prohibited, uh, essentially, that uh, now whether it's prohibited to keep the crypto is not clear, but the state bank is saying you cannot buy or sell uh, crypto. But presumably uh, you could earn it as payment for goods and services, presumably. Maybe, but whatever. I wouldn't want to fight the Pakistani government about it. Well, we're in the midst of fighting the, the American government, yeah, and it's supposedly legal here. Well, that one won't behead me, probably. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, and they're not beheading these people. They're just freezing their bank accounts and basically making them you know, completely unbanked and outside of the system. Uh, whether they're going to yeah, prosecute I know them, what that's like. Yeah, whether they're going <laughs> to prosecute them next, that's another question. But again, Pakistanis hold twenty billion dollars worth of crypto, according to a survey or a report Good by their them. Chamber of Commerce. At a press conference recently, the uh, in- industry spokesperson noted that the qu- quoted valuation of the digital currency owned by Pakistanis is based on research carried out by their board. In reality, the true total of crypto holdings may be much higher, as many Pakistanis are buying mm. coins via peer-to-peer deals, which remain undetected. So, they're... Uh calling on the government to introduce a policy to regulate and facilitate crypto-related transactions, pointing out that their regional rival, India, has already taken steps to implement rules for the sector. His association It didn't work, though, did it? When India did it? I'm not sure. I'm Uh, sure there's still people in India buying and selling Bitcoin, just like there are in China. No, no, no. India's trying to to allow it. They're trying to regulate it, but but control it, right? Well, I wish them the best of luck with that. It doesn't seem possible, but... 
Sure, let them have their little death throws if that's what they want. But that's not the only country doing the same sort of thing. I mentioned to you Nigeria has rolled out a central bank digital currency. Well, at the same time, they're also freezing bank accounts, according to Coin. You see, you can't do that. Oh, yes, they can. You shouldn't be that big of a hypocrite where you're like, we're going to implement this technology because it's great and it's going to improve things, but you can't use any of the actual improved versions of it. Cointelegraph.com reporting, this was from back in November, I've held on to this story, uh, but since you know, it ties in here, in February, the Central Bank of Nigeria banned banks from servicing crypto exchanges in the country, citing concerns... What is su- my Nigerian prince lover going to do next time I try to send him Bitcoin? <laughs> well, you can still send it to him, he just can't exchange it at a, at a bank. Uh, citing concerns including volatility, money laundering, and the financing of terrorism. So basically they're saying that the... The banks in Nigeria cannot have a central, uh, cannot host accounts for cryptocurrency exchangers, essentially. So if you were to open up an exchange in Nigeria, you wouldn't be able to actually, you know, put any money into an actual Nigerian bank account. The central bank ordered all commercial banks to freeze accounts of at least two individuals that they believed were engaged in crypto trading. According to a report from a Nigerian news outlet, the People's Gazette, the CBN director of banking supervision issued a notice directing the central bank to close accounts of two alleged crypto traders and move their funds to suspense accounts. The crackdown is part of a larger move by banking regulators to immediately close the accounts of Nigerian residents or or companies that are, quote, transacting in or operating cryptocurrency exchanges using local banks. Sound familiar? It does. Mm -hmm. So Nigeria's uh, central bank digital currency rollout wasn't like universal. They still have, quote, private banks. They do. That people can still bank with. Correct. See, and I tend to think in the United States, well, it would be a slow rollout here as yeah, well. They but, wouldn't be able to close. The, the private yeah. banks wouldn't close overnight. Yeah. But it would. it is a threat to their status quo to release a central bank digital currency. Well, because currency. they're redundant at that point. Yeah. Why have, have a to, bank account with you know your local credit union when you have exactly the same functionality from the U.S. Well, government? Well, you know, that presumes the U.S. government app is going to be useful. That's true. I mean, the bank apps <laughs> the bank apps aren't great generally, but I'd be willing to bet that the Bank of America and the you know other mega bank apps will still be better than the U.S. central bank digital currency app. I don't trust the U.S. government to be able to protect people's unique accounts in that way. What are they going to tie this to your social security oh, number? Oh, you bet. You in bet which, they will. In which case, identity theft is a much bigger issue. You, mm-hmm. you can't just undo somebody wiping out literally all of your money. Well, but they could just undo the transaction, I presume, because they would have total oh, yeah, control over so. those accounts. Still, so, it sounds dangerous, and I don't trust the U.S. government to be able to implement enough safeguards to actually make this secure and reliable. Well, despite the central bank's actions in Nigeria, their crypto market has emerged as one of the biggest in Africa. Whenever you look at like local bitcoins and where people are buying bitcoins on the planet, Nigeria and Venezuela are two of the, at least the last time I checked, two of the biggest. That's probably, uh, that's probably because that's one of these peer-to-peer exchanges, and Nigeria right. won't let them buy Bitcoin any other way. And with the continent's overall retail transaction volume having increased by more than 1,200% between July of 2020 and June of 2021. So, hey, that's good news. People regard Africa as poor. If they keep buying Bitcoin, Africa's that's not going to be change. poor that much longer. Yeah, absolutely. So good and for them. The central bank in Nigeria is preparing to introduce the country's central bank digital currency, the e-Naira, following approval from their federal high court in October. So I guess it's not out yet, but it's on the way 
to the people of Nigeria. Well, even when it is out, as you pointed out, it's going to have to be rolled out slowly. The banks won't disappear overnight to the unfortunate. uh, That's probably unfortunate to the governments that are implementing these things because that means they have to take an additional step to freeze your funds, right? They have mm-hmm. to go to the bank and say, hey, freeze this, person account, uh, freeze this person's account so they have the central bank digital currency in place. They, they don't have to do that. just press a button. Yeah, it's just click. All right, you're done. Guilty you, until proven innocent. Your ability to use money wiped out in an instant by your government. That's what a central bank digital currency will achieve. So basically, the difference between the United States and Nigeria and Pakistan is in Nigeria and Pakistan, they actually made things illegal before enforcing on them. <laughs> Whereas here, they're just going ahead and arresting people yeah, they're, and taking them to court. It does seem to be the case. One other interesting point here. We mentioned uh, that Turkey's inflation is 36% compared to last year at this time. But uh, interestingly, Tether's top trading pair is with the Turkish lira right now with 29% of all Tether trades coming from the Turkish lira. So the Turkey, the Turkish people are getting out of that and getting into stable coins. Good for them. We're out of time for tonight. You can join us on our chat server at chat.freetalklive.com.